Welcome, guys, to the Self-Evident Podcast. You have Mike, you have EZE. We are here today. You may notice it's a, a little bit short. We don't have our uh, our champion, Massey, here, but that's okay. Um, honestly, EZE, we should have done a picture, man. We should. You guys did me the honor of that. but We should have, but... We didn't we, think about it. We also don't have this camera either. Oh, that's true. That's because I have it. Yeah, you stole it. <laughs> I did. I stole, stole it because we got some studio. picture stuff we're doing. I'm oh yours. Ooh, my taking studio. possession. Yeah. You know what? I appreciate that. I appreciate you're taking possession over the territory you've been given. Yeah. Well, if you guys are gonna make me be here by seven o'clock every morning Ooh. and ridicule me if I come a minute early or a minute later. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Don't forget, you're here at six fifty-three. I told you yeah. seven. I think we need to change your accuracy. So if anyone out there is looking for a new producer job, there will be one opening up soon. <laughs> we'll pay you more than we do easy. <laughs> <laughs> but do not forget to check out all of our social media stuff. The self Go to the website. Be sure to share, like, dis- describe. I want you to describe <laughs> us to your friends. Review, comment, like, dislike. It doesn't matter. We need your action on all of that. So if you're watching right now, I want you to share. I want you to comment. That stuff helps with the algorithms. It helps get us out there to other people. That's the biggest battle in this whole game is getting exposure, um, getting your words in front of other people. And it's, it's a very difficult battle. We are fighting at a disadvantage, but that's fine. We don't mind. We'll keep fighting, but we need your help. Um, and if you ever want to improve something on the conservative side of things, it's organization and, and movement. Um, conservatives, we could always level up in how we get passionate to move forward in something. And sometimes if you can't do anything else, it, it helps more than you know to share, like, comment on your favorite conservative commentators. Because you always hear those stories of that that college kid who was liberal and kind of going that way and then they discovered a ben shapiro and all of a sudden their world gets turned upside down and they start seeing truth behind things and so we want to be one of those voices where hey kid comes across us and they were liberal but hey now they're like oh this is making a lot more sense and and this whole this whole god thing this whole conservative thing it's starting to make sense to me so go ahead and do that but we are going to get right into it. You ready? You ready, Easy? I am. This is a very interesting topic. It is. Um, number. Uh, I can't wait for the main topic, but I want to go through the, the news bit because you probably haven't heard this, um, but it came out that they lied. Could you believe that the administration lied? What? I know. I'm heartbroken. I just, I don't know how to act about this. It's all my trust and faith in the establishment has been wiped away with this this one move. So what did they lie about? Michael Ginsburg at the Daily Caller reports. Republican senators Josh Hawley of Missouri and Charles Grassley of Iowa released a series of documents on Wednesday showing that the Biden administration's disinformation governance board was intended to have a domestic focus, despite promises from administration officials. You mean we were right? Go figure. We were right. 
We didn't even have the documents, but but we we made an assumption about what they might do with this disinformation board. It's so funny that they're spreading disinformation about their own disinformation board. Isn't it? And, was- and it was disinformation that brought the disinformation board down <laughs> because they, they uh, who was it? Saki even even commented that, well, we're, we're reviewing it because of all this misinformation going on around it. So you got taken down by the one thing you wanted to battle. Sounds like you're not very successful in my book. That's okay. What government program is, uh, besides causing chaos, death, disorder, mayhem, hmm. steals, kills, destroys. Interesting. We'll get to that later. Top Biden administration officials, most notably Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, repeatedly claimed that the board would focus on disinformation pushed by foreign actors. Notice that word, foreign actors. However, documents released by Holly and Grassley reveal that the board intended to target alleged disinformation by topic, not by national origin. Hear that again, by topic, not national origin. The Department of Homeland Security paused the board in May before it began operations, although it has the option to bring it back, which, of course, they will wait until your news cycle has moved so far beyond it and they'll secretly start it up. I kept saying, why why would you announce this? Just set up the cubicle in the middle of DHS. Don't tell anybody what you're doing and just start going forward with it and and wait for somebody to call you out on it. It's better to ask for uh, forgiveness than permission and for some reason, they decided to make it public. Now, I'm not trying to give answers to the enemy, but man, if I were running this, I would have run that a little bit cleaner. Leaked documents show that the Biden administration expressed particular concern about, quote, conspiracy theories about the validity and security of elections, disinformation related to the origins and effects of COVID-19 vaccines or the efficacy of masks, and falsehoods surrounding U.S. government immigration policy. Those kind of sound like key self-evident topics. (laughs) Don't be surprised if we get a call from DHS, guys. Notably, the document listing the topics of concern does not stress the sources of the alleged disinformation. Hence, foreign actors weren't a concern. It was the topics. It was the issues that mattered to them. Only the issues must not be politicized. And by politicization, they mean... um, telling the truth the leaked document uh sorry another document reveals that dhs hoped to create a public private partnership with twitter to target the disinformation on the site we'll just pause for that let's pause public private partnership interesting Now, we've all talked about this idea of social media being too connected with government. But now you've got some smoking gun documents that really show you the government was moving forward and intending and promoting this idea of strengthening the relationship between public and private in order to stop, quote unquote, disinformation. They want to attack you on the private front. Sounds a lot like socialism doesn't it that that weird nasty mixture of public and private interests yeah. oligarchy you know people people 
yell and scream about capitalism because you know rich corporations and hey i got my issues with corporations but governments they they totally enable it it's it's like a a codependent with an alcoholic they totally enable it oh here here have more power have more power have more strength have more strength you you know what i've got this this thing that i want to do why don't you help me on this you know it's this incestuous nasty relationship that's not capitalism in 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 the real sense of it for us as capitalists that's not capitalism that is a socialist oligarchy and we've got to define that and we've got to draw out that definition because too many people are really confused on this whole idea of capitalism and so then the the communist or the socialist comes by and says well the corporations and the and the capitalists you know they're all doing all this yeah because government enables it and there's this nasty relationship between the two it shouldn't be government should purely be an arbiter and a judge in terms of of um issue uh disagreement you know what i mean like that's that's all government should be doing is is enforcing the law and drawing that line punishing evildoers right once government gets outside of that and starts moving in activism and and promoting central planning and and all of this like it starts to get nasty because the government will start picking winners and losers arbitrarily as opposed to um breaking the law or not and that arbitrarily we saw in the lockdowns we saw that you know uh, you can't go to that little greenhouse because you know that's a small business but you can still go to you know uh, walmart and get your plants there the 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 profits that amazon made during the lockdowns are truly egregious and why because of government regulation astronomical it was it really was astronomical it's it's frustrating to watch isn't it yeah you know because you you see this type of thing going on and and you go is anybody else seeing this like is anybody in government really caring about this (laughs) because you you watch these major corporations who who progressives will rail against constantly yet they make their money and 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 progressives they're too busy focusing on how much more authoritarianism can we get because, hey, I don't feel very safe. And then we watch massive amounts of small businesses chased out of the market while Amazon with a billionaire who you rail against as as far as having power, the billionaires, yet you, you don't mind him because, you know, he's liberal and owns the washington post and you know so we'll forget about him i actually wrote a blog post that uh uh, elijah should be throwing up on the website should be coming out today pretty quick here today cool um elon musk and and i really believe he's a rorsat rorsatch test rorsatch rorsatch um he's as a billionaire he is very much like people see in him what they want to see in him and it's funny he was a liberal darling with the whole environmentalist movement until he wasn't um and especially twitter really kind of showed their hand of he's he's no longer their darling and conservatives have kind of taken him up yet they didn't like him at beginning because government subsidies and the green movement and all that and so it's it's, it's kind of funny that this guy you know it, you pick and choose your billionaires that you like and you don't like. You know now, Jeff Bezos on the pure fact of being a billionaire, man, more power to you, dude. You completely revolutionized and changed the face of the world. Yeah, 
Good for you. You you succeeded in what you're going after. My problem is when you and government get involved with each other and 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 start being friends instead of you know government keeping an eye on you. you right. Know? I also love how Elon is just like he just decides. Mm, yeah, I'm I'm um not gonna do that anymore. Instead, yeah, we're gonna be focusing on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> He, he he really will like and and that's one of the things that you'll see in the blog post that I wrote is like I love that he's he's a visionary but I wouldn't consider him an ideologue um you kind of have to take him on a case by case issue or an issue by issue thing which is great and and I wish all of us could be a little bit more like that you know it you have to decide on him by each issue that he takes on. And then I draw this comparison. So go check out the blog post. As soon as easy throws it up, you'll enjoy it. Um, my writing is uh, uh, boring and stifling and, Poetic and beautiful. Uh, redundant. But if you can slog through it, 2,000 words of Elon Musk. If you can slog through it, let me know what you think. <laughs> Let's uh, get on to the main topic because oh, this one's going to be fun. I think easy is kind of ready for this one. So. Christian nationalism is to blame for everything. Yes. For everything. Mm -hmm. Christian nationalism. Notice those two words have now been put together, and you'll notice it will increase as they try to um, uh, get you used to hearing that term. Notice white nationalism is a term that has just been flouted everywhere. Everywhere. Well, now's the next step to connect Christianity with white nationalism because you're, you make a subconscious connection. If white nationalism is evil and wrong and extreme and wild and crazy and Hitler incarnate, and then you start calling Christians Christian nationalists, a lot of people will draw that subconscious connection of, oh, Christian nationalists, extreme, radical Hitler incarnate. I guarantee they, they are masters of language. Satan is a master of language. Think about what he said to Eve in, in the garden. He didn't really say that, did he? God didn't really tell you you're going to die, did he? No, he knows you're going to be more like God. Which is interesting because I make the argument that Adam and Eve were both more like God before they ate the apple than they were after. Because they were perfect. I would agree with that. They were in communion, right? They were in communion with the Lord. They didn't understand what they had. And once they ate the apple and their eyes were open to good and evil, all of a sudden they were less like God. Mm -hmm. They chose wickedness. And that's, that's a theological bunny trail. Um, but that language, language is so important. And that's why you'll see the left so often they attack language and definitions. Gender. Nobody can can agree about male female anymore. We have a documentary that is talking about what is a woman. Could it? Could you ever fathom twenty years ago we were going to have a documentary? Really, one of the of the day most successful documentaries, I guess. You know, I I haven't heard more news and information and and re, you know hubbub about a documentary twenty years ago. I personally couldn't fathom any of that because i didn't exist but looking at how society <laughs> golly you made me feel old bro right looking at how i i always love to to reflect and look at how things were 
back in the early 2000s or even in the like just all of the 90s and the 80s it was almost a completely different world mm-hmm. it really and was it, it was it's literally because we had either primitive internet technology or no internet technology it was just we did what we had to do to have a good time yeah and, and there was there was I can't figure out the right words. There was no buffer there. I I think mob mentality got magnified exponentially right. with the internet. Um, not that mob mentality, obviously, it's always had its power. I think with the internet, what you ended up seeing was this a one idea, especially through a news article. So an event happens, a news article writes about it, and it moves through space and time instantly. And th- th- there are other people who comment on this this idea of the local news used to always stick to the local. So if you, you had a county school board that was arguing about a book, mm-hmm. that never made national news because there wasn't time for national news to really cover that. They had, what, an hour a night to really cover what's going on in the world. So you had these separate spheres, which is good, you know, and, and it used to be, you'd have your local news on your local news channel, you know, and then, then they'd go to national news. Um, Yet now we can consume local news from anywhere. And then the big national news organizations have found that people will click and, and, read the really read the title of the article they never read the article but read the article of this local story so now the local story of the school board talking about not allowing a book in their school becomes national news and further foments um, as evidence either for or against your position Mm -hmm. and i think Internet has been amazing, and it's also been so destructive. You know, right? I was I was actually watching a Stephen Furtick um, sermon yesterday from Elevation Church, and he was talking about it's funny how the thing that was made so that we could spread, so that we could have mass communication and spread our own opinions, hasn't even allowed us to actually. What was it? It it hasn't even allowed us to actually come together in any significant way. Mm. It in fact it's divided us even more. Yeah. Because of how many varying opinions there are and the fact that people don't want to accept different opinions. And we see that not only in the world, we also see that in the church. We see that with people who will change churches, get really attached to a church, and then immediately because they've never been disagreed with before by either another person in the church or the pastor or by one of the elders, because they disagree with them, they don't know how to react to that. Yeah. So they're like, this church must not be good then. I can't come here anymore. I can't let my kids be poisoned by this anymore. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, that gets into a whole nother tangent, right, right. you know, but that, that concept of, and what I was thinking about as you were saying that is, I'm curious the the accessibility of disagreement before the internet, before modern technology. 
and you know, I can't really make a judgment on say 200 years ago, um, was disagreement much more accessible than it is now? Was it much more expected? You know, we're, we're two guys sitting in the tavern in the 1730s or whatever. Uh, are they more likely to have a disagreement and bring political discourse up now than we are today? Um, it, it, because let me let me draw an analogy on why I'm I'm asking this question. I'm getting way off topic, but we for all of the death and violence we see on tv we are are not nearly as in tune with the concept of death than people were 200 300 years ago oh yeah they were surrounded by real death they they saw it all the time but if you notice today we went through it with all the covid stuff we are afraid of death mm-hmm. deathly afraid of death and so there, there comes a point where the more safeguards and, and precautions you put in place and the more walls you put up, um, the less you're able to deal and understand with a certain thing. So that's why I'm talking about this whole idea of debate and argument is we've, we've built echo chambers, we've built uh, censorship, we've built m- massive narratives through news and media and entertainment and all of that. And so the question becomes like, are we losing the ability to disagree with one another um, in a halfway respectable way? You know, cause you, you see the, the vitriolic reactions of progressive college students right. coming across an idea they don't agree with and they amount everything to violence. So you disagreeing with them is violence to them. And I would even take, um, what you said before a step further i'm trying to sorry again like i said before my brain's in a little (laughs) bit of a fog well if you can't think of it that's okay yeah the whole death thing analogy or no something else well another thing with that is that people back in the 1700s even 1800s even 1900s back like during the great depression both world wars literally every war that america mostly took part in um in in tavern situations like that if somebody disagreed they would either have like a gentleman's dispute or there'd be a bar fight yeah you know and it was it was just kind of expected. And, you know, nowadays you don't have as many bar fights, at least that we're made aware of. But then you do have uh, school shootings. Yeah. You have people making death threats online. That's actually, that's a good point that there, it, we're, we've lost the ability to handle disagreement and, yeah. and uh, different views. And so we right. don't know how to react. So we, we become extremely violent against those ideas yeah and it's i I remember i was going to say now it's not that we're scared of death we're scared of our own death because when it means somebody else who disagrees with us someone else who's against our own cause we're perfectly fine with them completely dropping off the face of the planet we're we're fine with that but when we're approached with our own with preserving ourselves that's when it gets scary yeah that's that's a good point and People don't understand the concept of morality until 
they either a have a firsthand experience like a near-death experience b have a relative or a loved one die or c have a close encounter with the lord yeah the it there's a lot of veneer that needs to be scraped away um, yeah. and it can happen in an instant when a person really comes to terms with their own mortality, they start to realize what's important mm-hmm. as opposed to we, we cover ourselves in a lot of distraction, a lot of delusion. And that keeps us from really understanding the truth of morality, the truth of standard um, righteousness. Righteousness is, is the ultimate standard yeah and and we we try to avoid it and we love telling ourselves compromise and degrees and that gets into this idea of responsibility nobody wants to take responsibility Uh, and that bearing out in the sense of consequences nobody wants the consequences for their actions we want consequences for actions for everybody else we want justice for everybody else we want mercy for ourselves. you know and that that goes to the old road, road rage incident if somebody else does it to you you flip off the handle if you do it to somebody, oh, sorry, sorry, give me mercy. I, you know, I, I didn't mean to. Or or if it's even worse, it's like, oh, I don't care. I'll do it. Yeah. But then somebody else said, how dare you? You know, it, it, we need to understand consequence for yeah. our responsibilities. Absolutely. So let's get into this. Um, Back be- into it. Yeah, because I, I think this is somebody who who's drank the Kool-Aid for so long that they they are going into that extremist realm automatically if you hold these positions you're dangerous and the guy literally says it says it so this was an article on the hill.com and it caught my eye the other day i thought this would be a good conversation starter so if you haven't noticed the term christian nationalism it's popping up just like white nationalism now you may remember we covered the idea of nationalism a little while ago in it we shrugged off accepting the term nationalist we don't we don't really like that term because what makes it special, what makes it unique? Well, my country's better than another one. And I honestly don't have a problem with somebody doing that. Uh, the, the progressives obviously will, and they attach a lot of moral decision to that. Uh, I would prefer American exceptionalism because I think the, the values and the beliefs and the foundations that America was built on are exceptional. Not many countries are built on that. Most countries are built on... Uh, Victory of conquest. Power has consumed a weaker power. And so now, there you go. You're part of us. Or, or now we are our new country. I think the unique nature of America is people came to this new land with the expressed intent of certain values and beliefs and wanted to try and uphold and fulfill those. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. But at least they had set that standard there for themselves. Now, an article by Quadricos Bernard Driscoll titled Christian Nationalist Nationalism is Thriving. Where is the religious left? What I find interesting about the article, now, can you go ahead and pop up the slide for me? Um, because I want you to read this article in full. And what I found very interesting was he, he doesn't even really scratch the surface of why the religious left it is so morally superior to the the Christian right or the religious right. He basically just wants something else to replace the religious voting block, which tells me he's not really interested in the values of Christianity. He just wants a different set to take power over the other set, the set that he doesn't like. 
It's popped up on the ninth, and it goes into a long list of political issues that Christian nationalists are fighting. So this article starts with a quote from Majority Taylor Greene, because, of course, you have to have that that easy uh, scapegoat, that easy straw man. It's time for an American revival. This is Majority Taylor Greene. A revival of our country, church, and our mindset. The hardworking people of America have been abused for too long by corrupt government, told what to think by arrogant media, and led astray by our evil culture. It's time. Driscoll quickly followed that up with a tweet by her saying, Our nation needs to take a serious look at the state of mental health today. Sometimes meds can be problem. America is failing our youngest generations from decades of rejecting good moral values and teachings. We don't need more gun control. We need a return to God. I got to read this next bit because this all connects. After that, he, of course, invokes the NRA and their connection with the religious. So already, and it, first off, I don't disagree with anything that Green said. So now I am labeled Christian nationalist because I believe, hey, country's on the wrong track. Government is corrupt. We've lost our morals. And hey, it's not about gun control. Because you can, you can do gun control into oblivion, but the moral state of the society is bankrupt. And our inner cities are proof of that. Plenty of our inner cities have massive amounts of gun control, but wickedness finds a way. Wickedness finds a way. And so instead of chopping at the trunk of the tree, we are chopping at the thousand branches going, well, maybe gun control will help stop a couple of deaths. No, I want to stop all of them. I know I can't. But I guarantee if, if you give me free reign going after the next generation's morals and values, I will have much more effect than you will with your gun control. People will kill people. Cain did it with a rock. Driscoll then states the U.S. Capitol insurrection, notice that, pops that right in there. He, he's going for all of the liberal talking points. Supreme Court's unprecedented draft leak potentially reversing the 1973 case of Roe v. Wade. I want to know how that's Christian nationalist's fault. Because he didn't point out the Roe v. Wade ruling. He pointed out the uh, unprecedented draft leak. So now he's setting that at the feet of the Christian nationalists. And I bet if you got him in a room, he would say, well, because they were going to, they're going to vote against Roe v. Wade. And so, you know, the, the unprecedented draft leak is unprecedented times. It had to happen. They, they will try to make you responsible for everything. Said, so and the lack of comprehensive gun reform may be linked to Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism is a belief that God has destined America like biblical Israel for a pivotal role in the destiny of human history and that the nation will receive divine healing and blessing or judgment, depending on the, upon the measure of Americans' obedience to what they perceive as God's biblical laws and mandates. Yes. <laughs> you got something easy? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm remembering what um, I've, I've heard a lot of people prophesy over the nation. Um, for example, if you guys haven't gone and watched... Uh, our interview with Joseph Z and Massey. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness, it was amazing. I'm I'm now following his ministry Good. because he's he's an amazing, real prophetic ministry. Yes, yes. You have so many prophetic quote unquote ministries nowadays that literally just they speak 
life about one topic or one or two topics are always hit just like that one and it's always ad nauseum yeah yeah, it, yeah. um i remember something he prophesied and it, it comes in line with a lot of things that i've i've heard um from other people who i know to be prophetic and also from just things i've seen on the internet in the world and it's that things are going to get a lot worse, unfortunately, before they get a lot better. Um, and the way that he described it was things are going to get to a point where we didn't even think it would get. Like they would get so low, we wouldn't even think it would fathomably be possible for things to get that low. Yeah. And at that point is when the young lions, he said the young lions would step up and say enough is enough and take us to a new spiritual high that we never right. even thought was possible. And, and not that it's not prophetic, but it, it really is. Um, it, it, it's reasonable. Have you, have you ever heard the quote, uh, hard times produce good men, good men produce good times. Yeah. Good times produce weak men, weak yeah. men produce bad times and i strongly believe bad times produce is... good men <laughs> yeah and that's that's honestly what's going on and i'm with you of like i can't wait to start seeing these young lions come up and i i pray that i can have some type of uh role in mentoring those young lions who, who was it yeah. in the bible who said he didn't want to die until he got to see christ he was an older prophet ah <sighs> uh, todd did a uh a sermon on this guy I can't remember what his name was. Usually I'm pretty good with names. Uh, throw it in the chat if you remember, because I, I know. Um, but yes, what about him? Just that idea of yeah. he, he was holding out hope and and he got to see he, he, infant Christ. Yeah, he followed He followed God. Was it Simeon? Was his name Simeon? I think so. You I know somebody's so. going to be like yelling in the chat right now. No, no, no. It was this person. Yeah. You guys or... call yourself Christians? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. right there. Mathematician, mathematician doesn't get everything right. Um, but yeah, that, that concept of I, I pray I can see the day of the young lions raising up and I pray that I can have it some type of role in helping raise them up because I know when it happens, I'll probably be too old. But I, I want to be one of those young lions. But I if I can't, such things yeah. too old. Well, hey, look at, you know, look at Billy Graham's life. Well, yeah. And and Moses was effective until really, I mean, he was even effective when he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land he, yeah. he, because he still took his leadership role of passing it on seriously. Um, but Joshua was effective to his ending day. Like all of us can be effective. Yeah, Joshua, Joshua was old he was when he was past the man when he was given the yeah. mantle to lead yeah. israel and, and we we tend to think like this 30 year old guy going in leading armies no nah, he, he was, was like, old he was like 80 wasn't 80, he 86 or something yeah something something crazy but yeah so take your time it's okay guys so Driscoll continues, in the late 1990s, the young charismatic Ralph Reed, the once executive director of the Christian Coalition and others, mobilized the Republican Party for a more Christian nation with the notion that the devout, predominantly Christian morals are under attack in America in the face of a cluster of so-called cultural issues, gays, abortion, gambling, lack of school prayer. Isn't it funny? Gays and abortion are 
and, and transgender now and pedophilia and all of that are major issues today. So maybe they saw something on the horizon. They banked that these issues would rile up specific aspects of the Republican Party's base, conflating them with other non-cultural topics such as tax cuts, deregulation, school vouchers, anti-immigration, and fully rigid embrace of the Second Amendment's perceived rights. No, 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 not perceived. Not perceived. It's absolute. Government cannot restrict the rights of the citizens to keep and bear arms. Not perceived. We just want to hold the standard. And isn't it funny that the Christian nationalists or the Christians in the 1990s, oh, they took all these social issues and they wrapped them up with non-cultural, like actual policy issues. What the heck are you doing? Transgender bathrooms, anybody? Gay marriage, anybody? Abortion, anybody? That's still there. Progressives pursue this with vigor. They make it all about the social issue. I like how gambling is thrown in there as well. Yeah, you know, of course. I, and and there was that that like Christian authoritarian thread that moved in the 1990s, but that was kind of a blip. You know, it, it happens. There, there's always that blip of authoritarianism that works its thread through each political movement. Um, the temperance movement. Yeah, the temperance movement was very authoritarian. Right. You know, working off the concept of alcohol is bad. Hey, let's have our discussion. But then it it turned authoritarian. Now, alcohol Chris, itself wasn't bad. It was it was the fact that people were just gorging themselves with. Them. Well, and and like, but the temperance movement, the activists were making the argument that any alcohol was bad because it would lead to that. Right. And so that temptation, right? And so. He says, today these Christians, mainly white evangel God, throw that word white in there. Even though, even though Latinos and blacks, if if you go on these core social issues, the, the religious groups of those, Latinos are mostly Catholic, so abortion and and homosexuality, not real keen on. Blacks are the same way, but it's the white evangelicals, right? Always the whites. Always the whites. Mainly white evangelicals with a swath of swath of Catholics and other Protestants have seemingly achieved their political religious goal. They overwhelmingly supported Trump and helped elect politicians like Taylor Greene. Christian nationalism is perhaps the most potent religious political movement in the country today. It has been a two-decade effort overlapping with other right-wing movements, conspiratorial QAnon, Tea Party, and denialism over COVID-19. He is just wrapping all of it up in there. All of it up there. All the catchwords. Get all the catchwords in there. And I like that he says that they achieved their political religious goal. No, we didn't. Because if we did, um, none, none of the stuff that's been going on yeah. would really be going on today. I, it would be blips. I hate the fact that I, I see what the enemy is doing. He's Because there's this hatred toward white people, he is purposefully tying christianity uh, he's tying christianity and white being white yep. together yep. so that to the people who disagree with either white people or christianity they're like oh we can fully go against this and he is he always works in two ways he is either a trying to convince people that he doesn't exist therefore god doesn't exist 
or B, he's trying to show people that God isn't good. Right. And through that, and by convincing people that Christianity is white, that means both Christianity and white Christianity isn't good. Therefore, God isn't good. Therefore, Jesus isn't good. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And we had covered a while ago this whole white Jesus movement because we saw people posting online about white Jesus and all of that. Jesus is, is depicted culturally. Um, Jesus was Jewish. Yeah. It wasn't white. Um, Very he, tan he, Mediterranean man. Yes. Yes. He was he was in the middle of the Middle East. So he he was not sporting the uh, Mike uh, pale white, you know, the the Arctic <laughs> Circle type white. Although, isn't it funny? Like Eskimos and all, they, they've got more of a tin, tinted skin. Anyways, <laughs> getting getting off on trails. What was the whole? But they, like, wasn't there like a land bridge or something? Yes, there was actually, and and so doesn't Asian exist descent, anymore. Nope, it doesn't. Um, um, I wonder what conspiracy wiped theory. that out. So. This this whole white Jesus, white evangelicalism thing, if you look at other cultures, they depict Jesus in their own cultural framework. So there is very much a like African Jesus. There's very much an Asian Jesus. We're European. So, of course, you saw the European Roman nose, blue eyed Jesus. Now, that's not the, the typical. That's that's not what Jesus most likely looked like. But at least that. Probably, but it, it created connection for that culture. And immediately, because we're so steeped in identity politics, we saw it as, oh, that's offensive because we're culturally appropriating. Yet you won't lift up the Jewish Jesus mm-hmm. and say that's the right Jesus. You, you'll just say white Jesus wrong. There's, there's never, you notice there's never a positive spoken after that. Right. There's never a, look, the white evangelicals, they've got it wrong, but uh, the, the conservative Latino religious believer and the conservative inner city black uh, religious believer, they've got it right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Like that connection of white, which we've already demonized, now they're making the shift over Christianity. They did the identity politics, the immutable first, so that they can step you over to the mutable. So this he retributes as resulting in conservative judges, opposition to abortion, same-sex and transgender rights, and the mistrust of immigrants. He points this out, mistrust of immigrants, especially those who are non-white. He literally had to throw that in there. This is how you know it's an ideological uh, uh, activist he can't get out of his own way because he can't help but throw in those those jabs without evidence because he's seeing it through his lens. He finished with, and the exclusion of insufficiently religious Christians, Jews, Muslims, people of color, and even those with no professed faith tradition from honest discussions. Trump was a champion of these causes and helped to achieve them. You're talking about the Christian voting bloc. Yet you want the Christian voting bloc to support and uphold the Orthodox Muslim voting bloc. Now, in a certain sense, Christians uh, stand up for the liberty of the Muslim voting bloc. But this reminds me of there was a, a real push in colleges a little while ago 
to do away with standards for your leadership for your religious group on campus. So they were they were telling Christian groups, you can't have a standard of requiring your leaders to have certain set of beliefs. Isn't that funny that you're being told you want leaders that follow your beliefs and standards? You can't have that. You got to allow anybody to lead your group. It's the leader on down. It's the beliefs and the movement and the standards of the leader that determine the course of the group. <sighs> Driscoll goes on to argue that the social gospel is traced to the late 19th century, and this philosophy led to hospitals serving the poor for decades. Nobody tell him about Rome. Oh, no. Nobody tell him about the plagues in Rome. Uh -huh. He'll figure it out. He'll figure it out. He's conflating two issues. The social gospel movement did start in the 19th century, although you could argue that it it had its 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 pieces before that. But he's conflating two ideas. Social gospel replaced the gospel of Christ with social justice. Mm -hmm. And so it, it put cultural issues at the forefront at the expense of the gospel. And he's conflating conflating hospitals serving poor people with this the social gospel aspect which is it's a sleight of hand it's a bait and switch because hospitals serving poor people hospital systems were started by christians much before the 19th century all the way back to rome during the plagues it was christians who were going in and taking care of people you know where where the hospital was in in the old days, the real old days, the church, tabernacle, right? the The tabernacle was where you went Dude, in the Old Testament, right? People people don't realize, literally, the entire structure of the tabernacle to the fence outside, all the way up into everything that the actual tent was made out of. All of that is literally the gospel. Yeah, and it is it all like literally do your research look look into the different colors look into what each part of the tabernacle was called what the spiritual significance was to literally wood to brass to silver to gold everything that covered and everything that went into and everything that god spoke over the tabernacle was literally and is literally the gospel yeah, it truly is. For example, God told Moses, if anyone dares to make a sacrifice outside of the tabernacle on the sacrifice table that they have, they are to be exiled and to be closed off. Yeah. And the reason for that is because if anyone tries to find salvation in anywhere other than Christ, if anyone tries to find spiritual significance or spiritual experiences outside of Christ, they're not in Christ's kingdom. They're not looking for forgiveness in Christ. They're looking. They're looking for a poor substitute. And the the tent was the meeting place with God, yeah. right? So you're you're trying to commune with God on your own terms, which 
a lot of people look at the story of Cain and Abel, and that was the issue with Cain was Cain was trying to commune with God on his own terms. Right. You know, and, and we do that over and over. That was the Pharisees problems. They were trying to commune with God on their own terms. And so you had to be exiled. Moses was not allowed into the promised land because he misrepresented God. Mm-hmm. Right. That misrepresentation is very important. Very important. You know, uh, to continue. Sorry. No, you're good. He says, but now is the time for liberal denominations, churches and religions, religious communities in mass to educate, train and morally wrestle with Christian nationalism. The religious left, which is also an interreligious and non-faith reality, must insist that Christian nationalism is less about faith or religion and more about a social conservatism revolving around race, identity, politics, immigration, and revisionist teachings of American history. Revisionist. Ooh, that's a shot. That's a shot. Let's talk history, Driscoll. Come let's on. Let's do it. Come on down. Let's, let's have a discussion. You are welcome on the podcast, sir. Either live or on video. Yeah, you yeah, whatever you choose. Now, we'll still release the full unedited version, but we can record. That's yeah. fine. We might put a couple of funny sound effects in. But... <laughs> so the religious left, notice he's not equating it to Christianity. So now already you have more of a, a unification of different groups who don't agree on fundamental truths. That's why the religious left will never have strength because they don't agree on the fundamental truths. Get Jews and Muslims in one room and it's not going to last long. Well, it's not like there's some kind of war going on. Yeah, something. Yeah, oh, something. Wait, there was oh. some some small dust up in the Middle East about that. I Maybe. Know. I don't know. Something I, about, it should like... be done pretty quick here. So he also says interreligious and non-faith reality. Here's what he's doing. And, and this is about all he says about the religious left. The rest of it is just an attack on the Christian right. He's, he's trying to say, look, interreligious, non-faith reality must insist that Christian nationalism is less about faith or religion, more about social conservatism. Yet, what unifies the religious left? It's not religious belief. It's not true standards. It's social issues. And so those social issues take precedent over the religious or non-religious beliefs. Now, the problem is those religious beliefs, non-religious beliefs, are more ingrained into the people than your social issues. It, it works downstream. So the religious belief, the, the religious stance, if you are true and convicted of your religious beliefs, will determine your social issue outlook. And the problem is the less orthodox conservative you are on social issues, the less your faith and your belief systems have strength over determining how you feel about things. It sounds a lot like, well, if you just believe, say, a couple Hail Marys and pay this certain fee a month, you have your way to heaven. Yeah. So there's no conviction on that. There's no control on that. But it gets worse for Driscoll. His, his idea is dead before it ever leaves the gate is because you have, he's trying to cobble together this one movement of atheists, agnostics, Muslims, Jews, Christians, Hindus, blah, 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 blah. You have 40 different belief systems 
that you want to consolidate into one and have them all work from the same foundational bedrock. And what is that bedrock he claims is going against Christians, <laughs> going against the evangelical Christian conservative. It, your unification may last for a little while, but it won't last forever. It'll dissipate. It'll dissolve. We're watching the cannibalism of the progressive left happening, cancel culture. They always kill their own. And, and the, the Muslim and the Jew cannot allow everybody else to control their conviction. And I don't blame them. You're never going to see a concerted effort of Muslims over the course of time allow progressives who are championing transgender drag shows for kids you're never going to see the Muslim uh, uh, coalition, Muslim faith, allow that over the long term. They'll, they'll, you know, they may let you do it for a while because it's taking down their enemy. But once their enemy's out of the way, you're on the chopping block. Yeah, the yeah. enemy of my enemy is my friend until exactly. my enemy is gone. Which is, guess what? Is a Middle Eastern proverb. Which right? this wouldn't be the first time that any form of the left has used some form of corporation for their benefit until they proved worthless to them. Yeah. <clears throat> right. He continues as a country in the world increasingly become more secular. It begs the question, is this brand of Christianity partly responsible for the groundswell of repudiation, pushing people away from the Christian community and Christian convictions? How many people leaving the church are doing so because of Christian nationalism? Where's the voice of the religious left? You want to know what's pushing them away from the churches? The lack of Holy spirit. Amen. Dead men preach to dead churches. Christian, it, it's not the national, quote-unquote, nationalist movement. Although I shouldn't even take on that term because you're throwing that label at us and I don't appreciate it. I don't accept that. What it really is, is the lack of the Holy Spirit. People are yearning for more. People know there's more out there. And the church is not providing the genuine encounter with God that it should be. Now, I'm not lambasting the church, right? The church obviously is still doing the Lord's work. There's still the Holy Spirit weaving through. But at some point, if the church is telling you seven steps to a happier life and seven of those steps don't involve your interaction and communion with God and the Holy Spirit, it's, it's not going to pay off in the end. He says, and this, this one I was thinking about this morning, the Christian nationalistic movement is also arming itself. Gun sales are booming. Armed militias are becoming more active and voting rights are increasingly restricted. Eh. We saw in Georgia more votes, especially from minorities, mm -hmm. despite the new laws or restrictions that could put in place. How much of this can be traced to this white religious cohort is yet to be determined. Still too many angry citizens are taking small and ins insignificant provocations as justification for a gunfight. Show me, show me. All of this is stitched into a cultural quilt of discontent where people go from God to anger, to reorganization, to being armed and dangerous. Notice that connection. And one of the things I was thinking about is this whole gun control movement, I've, I've always had an issue with it, but something hit me about it today is you notice in a culture that increasingly moves itself away from God, it starts to restrict and take away the things of God. 
Now, the argument's always been guns aren't for Christians. Christians, you know, that's violence that, you know, we're not allowed to kill. The Ten Commandments, it's actually thou shall not murder. Without a cause, without a reason, right? You Yet, you were you could defend yourself. There were limitations. There is places of when you could, when you couldn't, that kind of thing. You look at men of war. And Christ told the apostles, sell your cloak, buy a sword. Some people, well, that's that's unique, right? That's just one off. Abraham committed war against five kings. Mm -hmm. Personally, Moses led the Israelites who also got in fights and wars. At one point, he had to keep his staff held above his, arm, above his head so that the armies of Israel would win. Joshua led the armies of Israel to take over the territory and the land. Yeah, go ahead. But David murdered Bathsheba's husband. Yes, good point, which was obviously pointed out as a sin. Mm -hmm. And God even had punishments for it because right. of this, right? Your, your son will die. Now, people will say, Oh, well, that's physical representation, so therefore spiritual truth. We're supposed to fight with the, the sword, which is the spirit, the word, right? So therefore, we can't take up arms at all. Yet, Christ in the New Testament said, sell your cloak, buy a sword. We have to work with that. That was not a spiritual truth. That was a literal physical command. And I will, I will continue to ask this. Is it more righteous to defend the defenseless or to allow them to be harmed by a, a wicked person. So if you have the chance to defend the life of a child or a woman from physically evil actions, is it more righteous for you to take out your sword and fight or to walk away? Mm. I think all of us would argue, well, it's probably more righteous to fight. And, and I think the bar gets set very high, but I think it's really interesting that the biggest movement to disarm people is the progressive left marrying up in all of this. Because when has the progressive left on, on deeper moral social issues like this, feeding the poor is, is something else, right? That's, that's, Right. Everybody across the spectrum goes, yeah, it's good to feed the poor. Transgender drag shows and gun control seem to be a deeper moral issue. And I find it interesting that somebody like this wants to disarm the populace yet has no reverence for God. So therefore is a vessel of the enemy. And so I posit that gun control is a much more wicked agenda than we've really given benefit or, or given thought to. I think that that shows more and more the righteousness of, of being able to defend yourself and, and having the ability as a population to defend against tyranny. You could argue with me. You, you can you know disagree, not believe me. That's fine. But that's kind of how I'm seeing it. He finishes, we need a bombastic counter-narrative from the religious left, which you'll never get, 
not simply the Christian religious left, but religious left that includes people from different religions and spiritual people who may not have a specific tradition to grow and turn into an equally active, politically engaged movement, hearkening back to the glory days of social gospel. This, this the problem is Christ becomes your totem in all of this. Christ is just your ends or your, or your means to an end. My end is Christ. All the social stuff can fall away. I don't, I care about it because I care about preserving the, the culture and tradition that venerates and, and respects and honors Christ. But if I lose it, I still have Christ. That's, that's not my end goal. My end goal is Christ personified through each and every person. I'll lose the social as long as I can keep Christ. But my issue comes from how do we as a nation honor and respect Christ? Our society, our culture, our government, how we interact in day-to-day -day life in the world is is an example of how we feel about Christ. And so if we don't respect and honor and venerate Christ, we see what happens with that very quickly. Stealing, killing, and destroying. Yeah. Here's the thing. And of all people to quote at the end of this, in the words of Marx, uh, my personal hero, you reproach us with wanting guns, Outlawing abortion, uh, outlawing or getting rid of transgender drag shows. Uh, you reproach us with wanting marriage to be an institution of the church. Well, yes, exactly correct. We do care about those things. And you can call me a Christian nationalist, even though it's wrong. And I don't accept it. But you love labels. Here's my label. I'm a Christian. I'm an American exceptionalist. I have conservative views and values and beliefs. Label me Christian. We can do away with all the other. That's fine. Because that stuff is not nearly as important to me as Christian. Yeah. But whatever you label me, I still stand by my convictions. And I know plenty of others who do. And I know they stand with me. And there are more of us than you realize. And that's what scares the progressive left, is if the Christian, quote-unquote, evangelical, ever actually coalesced as a political voting block. He says, we reached our political goals. Man, you have no clue what we could do if we actually united. If we actually became a monolith of voting. You better be so thrilled that Satan has been able to blind eyes, deceive hearts, and misdirect people. Because if the Christian evangelist ever wakes up, evangelical, ever wakes up as a voting block, you will never see anything pass again under the progressive moniker. And we as Christians must be able to convey the importance of 
society and culture in everyday life and how Christ influences it. Sin will enter each sphere, decay it out from the inside, and eat it out. Just like maggots. Christ can be inserted and something can be reborn. When Christ comes into the inside, you are changed from the inside out. You are reborn. And I fully believe that Christ can change every sphere of our society if we humble ourselves and turn back to God and we get our priorities straight. And part of that is shifting off and getting rid of this mindset that we have that Christ is not allowed in those spheres, that we have to keep him on the sidewalk in front of the school, that we have to keep him on the sidewalk outside of the halls of Congress, that we have to keep him outside of our arts and our entertainment. And if we do put him into our entertainment, man, we better make it so cheesy and 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 cliche that nobody will want to watch it we have to realize that a true genuine love for christ brings him into everywhere we go and he is just a part of us a fragrance they will weep and gnash their teeth as soon as they don't get their way stop caring about that Will Christian telling me to stop care, stop caring about their weeping and gnashing of teeth that they are losing their agenda. What this tells me from Driscoll is you're weeping and gnashing because you think Christian conservatives are getting their way. What I say is, bro, I want to shift into a higher gear. So <laughs> get ready to write more articles. Oh boy. Oh boy. So that being said, guys, it's time for me to get going. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Be sure to check out this article uh, by Driscoll. You can find it on thehill.com. Just search the term Christian nationalism. You'll find it. Read the whole thing. Let me know what you think. Uh, As well, do not ever please uh, leave insulting, rude, disparaging, uh, violent remarks. For anybody that we disagree with, show Christ to these people. I can disagree with Driscoll. I don't know him personally. I don't know his character. And the only conclusions I've made are through the points that he's made on here. But I try very hard to keep myself out of the realm of character. I'm not perfect, but let's do our best to keep out of the realm of personal insults or attacks against other people. If you're going to comment on this article, if you're going to email him, go for it, but keep it to the principles, keep it to the ideas. You will always show yourself stronger, more mature, a better person if you keep things to the ideals because once you start getting personal, you've proven you've lost mm-hmm. the battle. Keep it Christ centered. Keep it Christ centered. So Check out all of our stuff. Check out our merch. Buy yourself a shirt. Support us. Do not forget the Torchbearer Society. Become a monthly sponsor. Help us get where we're going. We will be in California this weekend. We are leaving Wednesday morning. We are heading out there. We've got a homeschool convention. We will be in Ontario, Canada. Ontario, California. It just rolls off the lips. Yeah, easy. You guys won't be in California. Yeah, easy won't be with us. But he will be there in Texas. So come out and say hi to him in I, Texas, which we will be in Texas in July. 
excited for that. Until next time, we got a great interview coming up. Uh, we're also going to run a World Economic Forum episode that we did. Uh, I think you guys will appreciate that because, of course, the whole Davos World Economic Forum stuff is popping up. Until Wednesday. Guys, have a great day. Love you. Love you guys. That was fun. Cool.